As we see sea level rise, we're losing more and more of our beaches. Sea level rise is threatening coastal cities and low-lying islands all over the world. The World Meteorological Organization states that global sea levels are rising at, quote, more than double the pace they did during the first decade of measurements, from 1993 to 2002. Welcome to Mothering Earth, your source for sustainable living news. I'm Salwa Khan. What does this rise in oceans mean, and what can we do to stop it? In this edition of Mothering Earth, we'll meet Joni Steinhaus of the Turtle Island Restoration Network, which promotes sustainable strategies for the oceans and the marine life within. For over 30 years, the Turtle Island Restoration Network, or TIRN, TURN, has worked on grassroots empowerment, hands-on restoration, and environmental education to inspire change in people like you and me. Joni Steinhaus, Ocean Director of TURN, begins with a little history. Turtle Island Restoration Network was founded in 1989, so 34 years ago, and originally it was focused on sea turtle projects. Over the last 34 years, we've expanded our ocean conservation and protection of marine wildlife. And so we have hands-on conservation projects, both in our Texas office, where we're located in Galveston, Texas. We have salmon projects in our office in California, and then we're deeply involved in creating a migratory swimway with 18 other organizations between Coco Island, which is a marine sanctuary off the coast of Costa Rica, and the Galapagos. And so we empower local communities. We work with consumers to make wise choices that protect the earth. We have environmental education programs, and we wouldn't be able to do our work. I like to say we're a small but powerful staff and we rely heavily on our volunteers, our interns, and the community members to help us push through legislative actions and do protection of the marine and terrestrial environment. Steinhaus has a big job and a passion for conservation and for helping people understand what they can do every day to protect our Earth. So I am the Ocean Program Director, so I am over all programs for ocean-related issues, not just in the Gulf. We have partners across the five Gulf states in Puerto Rico, but as I mentioned, our headquarters are in Alimo, California, and we have a very large salmon project there, hands-on restoration, restoration of creeks, removing of dams, helping people know the impacts of personal actions on potential streams, ensuring that three species of salmon are able to swim upstream to spawn. And so I'm over all ocean programs for the organization, including um, our advocacy department and our um, development department as well. And so as again, we're, we're a small but powerful team and we have a lot of very dedicated people that work with us to help us be successful. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Saul Wakan and I'm here today with Joni Steinhaus, She's Ocean Director of the Turtle Island Restoration Network, uh, or TIRN, T-I-R-N. Um, in what ways does the ocean support all life on Earth? I don't think people realize how much we rely on the ocean for our, our own well-being. It obviously offers us food and water, 
it regulates our climate, but more importantly, it generates a lot of the oxygen that we breathe, anywhere from 50 to 80%. It also obviously supports jobs in the Gulf of Mexico. There's oil and gas exploration. There's so many vessels that come in and out of the major ports, um, tourism throughout any coastal community. And it's estimated, you know, there are many people in our community that rely on fish, seafood, as their primary protein source. And it's estimated that over 3 billion people depend on the ocean as their primary source of protein for food. And, and uh, of course, one of the things you, uh, you do is talk about protecting uh, the biodiversity of uh, the marine uh, uh, areas. So why is that important? So marine biodiversity at the very basics is just the variety of life that's found in the ocean. And about 50 to 80% of all life on Earth is found in the ocean. When we think about the different independent ecosystems, coral reefs, they support about 25% of the marine life that we have in the ocean. We also have seagrasses, parts of our bay system and in, out into our ocean. We have mangroves. And there are so much, they believe that we've only truly explored about 5% of our ocean. And so the importance is that if marine biodiversity is important because if one species goes extinct and we know that we're, we have so many threatened and endangered marine animals, it can cause a wider negative impact on the entire ecosystem I know many people are familiar with the circle of life, and that's very true. Every organism is dependent on another in some way. And I really hope that people will understand that we as humans, the protection of the ocean is so important to us. We water, it's, it's liquid gold, it's necessary for all life. And again, the ocean gives us so much of the oxygen that we breathe. Right. So, uh, and now, as I'm sure you know, uh, people seem to care more about certain sea creatures like seals and dolphins, but maybe not so much for sharks and jellyfish. Um, why should we care about all sea creatures? It's an interesting question, and it's one I'm asked many times. And again, I do want to stress that no matter where you live, you know, it, you can live in the desert and the ocean still affects you. And so all life has value. We, we think of the, the large, the whales, the dolphins, the sea turtles, the megafauna, that we, we, we identify with it, we, we can see their faces, but all the other organisms are equally as important and are a food source for many of the larger animals in the ocean. So all life has value and all life contributes to a healthy marine ecosystem. And so, again, we must work together to protect the ocean. Most people don't understand what a watershed is. Each and every one of us live in a watershed. It's the land you live on, you play on. The, any type of precipitation hits that ground, it's absorbed or it becomes surface runoff, goes in our rivers and streams into the bays and ultimately out into the ocean. And so anywhere you live on the planet, you can possibly impact the ocean and the ocean health. And so we have to work together to protect the ocean for the sake of our future and the survival on this planet. And so the, uh, the organization, this, uh, the Turtle Island Restoration Network, uh, as you said, began uh, with, with turtles. So uh, let's talk about that. I understand that all species of sea turtles are endangered. Why is that? 
Yes, there are seven different species of sea turtles found around the world. We have five of them that come into the Gulf of Mexico, and they're all threatened or endangered. And our state sea turtle, the Kemp's Ridley, is critically endangered, as is the leatherback. And even though there is protection in the United States and internationally, they are still harvested. Sea turtles are still harvested. Their eggs are harvested. As you can imagine, sea turtles in the ocean are very fluent and very speedy, but when they come on land, they're very bulky. They have to drag themselves across the sand in order to nest. And so unfortunately, adult females poaching, adult females and eggs are still harvested. Oil spills um, throughout the ocean impacts it. I'm sure everyone remembers the deep water uh, BP Horizon oil spill. Hundreds of thousands, this is NOAA's data, hundreds of thousands of sea turtles were impacted by that. There's, of course, natural predators. And then we also have the impacts to nesting beaches. Um, we have sea level rise. The area for the turtles to success successfully nest is decreasing. If a nest is inundated with salt water, the eggs of a sea turtle actually have to have oxygen pass through them as the, the hatchlings are developing. And so if the salt gets in there, it is no longer a viable nest. And of course, sand temperature also impacts it. And we know that our sand temperature continues to rise as we see these increases in our outdoor temperatures. And so even though we might at times have more nesting turtles, the success of the eggs maturing and actually coming and emerging and going back into the Gulf or wherever they might be on their nesting beaches, less and less success from each nest and, and the eggs being able to successfully um, reach adulthood. And of course, interaction with fisheries, whether it's commercial or recreation, has had a huge impact on the sea turtle population. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan, here with Joni Steinhouse, Ocean Director of Turtle Island Restoration Network. Uh, and we were talking about sea turtles. Uh, sea turtles are themselves are used for food. Is that right? Yes. Unfortunately, there are many cultures that they traditionally had harvested sea turtles, and that still happens today. I receive images all the time from people in different parts of the world where there are two species of sea turtles. They're the Ridleys, the Olive Ridleys, and the Kemp's Ridley. They nest in what's known as an arabata, and they're also day nesters. And so it's the arrival, and hundreds of sea turtles can nest at one time. And so there are areas where certain turtles nest, not in the United States, where indigenous people are allowed to harvest that first batch of eggs. But unfortunately, people do illegally harvest the eggs and they do um, harvest the turtle for their leather, for their meat, and for their shell as well. So uh, one threat to the ocean is industrial overfishing. Uh, tell us what that is and in what ways does it pose a threat? So it's just like it sounds, industrial overfishing, it's the harvesting of too many fish at once. It can deplete the populations and more importantly, the breeding populations. And with this industrial fishing, not only do they harvest a specific type of fish, but many times there's bycatch or unwanted fish, reptiles, mammals, all get caught in this fishing gear. And so over-harvesting through industrial fisheries is not just fish, but it also includes sea cucumbers and crabs and sea urchins and lobsters. And so it has a huge impact, as we spoke about in the beginning, about marine biodiversity, 
if we just harvest and harvest and we don't pay attention to the longevity of a species or how long it needs to recover after harvesting, we're going to deplete the ocean of that specific species. And in addition to this, you know, we are all dealing with climate change and these vessels, these massive vessels, produce CO2 um, by the fuel that they're using. So not only are they having an impact on the ocean removing species, but they're also having an impact on climate change. And are there any uh, hazards with these uh, different events that you just described? Any hazards for people who eat fish and other seafood? Absolutely. And I highly recommend that you find some type of chart. There are listings by different organizations of what level of mercury or potentially other chemicals that are in certain species, whether it's shrimp or fish or crab or oysters. You have to be very aware of what you're consuming and how much you're consuming. Unfortunately, with surface runoff and our watershed, any chemicals that we place on the ground potentially can end up in our bays and our ocean. And then the wildlife that is living there, these fish species, are absorbing these chemicals into their flesh, and then humans are consuming them. We also work very closely to eliminate plastic, and there's more and more research done that marine species are eating microplastics, tiny pieces of plastics. And as humans, we're not consuming the plastic that the fish are eating, but the microplastics also have chemicals on them. And the fish, as they're eating these microplastics, the chemicals from the plastic is absorbed into their flesh and then potentially eaten by humans. So it's very important, especially if you're elderly or if you're pregnant or young children, that you monitor seafood that you eat and you're aware of what can potential harms can be involved with in consumption of that seafood. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan here today with Joni Steinhaus, Ocean Director of the Turtle Island Restoration Network. Um, how do you make, uh, you know, you spoke about charts, uh, but does TURN make any information available about seafood hazards? So we do have multiple ways we try to reach people. We do a lot of direct education. We do education in schools and with um, groups throughout the community. We do events, major events, Earth Day. We have an Ocean World, Ocean Day, multiple ways to directly talk to people. But we also use our social media. We have emails that we send out to our members. And then we also use our website to try to reach people and help them understand their personal impact on the health of the ocean and potential impact from eating seafood. If you're a regular listener of Mothering Earth, you've heard about plastic pollution of the oceans and about microplastics, which Joni Steinhaus states is in the fish and other seafood you may be eating. It's an alarming thought and a reminder to be vigilant about what you eat from the oceans. It's estimated that about 8 million tons of plastic is entering the ocean every year. And we have a, a national marine sanctuary in the Gulf of Mexico. It's called the Flower Garden Banks National Marine Sanctuary. And it's about 100 to 110 miles off the Texas and Louisiana coast. And I serve as a conservation seat on their advisory committee. And we have a program as I mentioned, the microplastics, we look at sand and water samples around Galveston Island. And we also, as the research team for the sanctuary goes out into the sanctuary, they collect water samples at all levels of the water column 
in the sanctuary, and then we process it looking for these microplastics. And so microplastics we're not able to see with our eye. We need a microscope in order to see them. And unfortunately, we've been sampling uh, sand and water around the island since 2017, and every sample we collect has some form of microplastics in it. And again, the microplastics are in humans. For the past seven years or so, there's been a lot of research done on microplastics and impacts to human. And the research has found that microplastics are in our blood. We can breathe them in and they can end up in our lungs. They've been found in, in brain tissue. They've crossed the placenta and they've also been found in nurse uh, mother's milk when they nurse. And again, it's not just the fact that we have plastic in our body, but it's potentially the chemicals that are attached to the plastic they adhere to it that cause even further harm. Steinhaus's work takes her to different parts of the country where she sees firsthand the damage being done to the environment. I have partners across Texas and across the Gulf Coast. We're fighting fossil fuel plastic. Um, many of them are black and indigenous people in these communities where these facilities are built. And so one of my partners is the Carrizo and they're a Native American original people from the Permian Basin area down to the South Texas area. And they have sacred land where two LNG facilities are proposed to be built. And I don't know if you know Elon Musk and SpaceX, that is also in that area. And April, I think it was April 20th, that one of his rockets exploded in the shrapnel. I was just there. I got back Sunday. Um, I was down there for four days for an environmental justice solidarity tour. And it was horrible to see. There's still rocket parts and concrete in the beaches and the dunes. And this is an area where the Kemp's Ridleys, our state sea turtle nests, along with piping plovers and other bird species. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm speaking with Joni Steinhaus, Ocean Director of the Turtle Island Restoration Network. Um, and so you were just talking about this destruction of coastal habitat. Um, what what can be done about it? Is there any, uh, does TURN offer any strategies to uh, stop this kind of destruction? Absolutely. And, you know, some of it goes back to the impacts from climate change. As we see sea level rise, we're losing more and more of our beaches. I've lived in the Galveston area for 10 years now, and it's just amazing to me to go to the west end of the island and see how much of the beach has eroded or areas where we don't have dunes anymore. And so we all need to be aware of climate change, sea level rise. There's still construction that's happening. This is across the United States and coastal communities. There's an area in um, the west end of the island where they're proposing a high rise and they know that the ground is not stable. In my opinion, they're building it close to the critical dune system. You need to build back at least 250 feet that they're proposing to put concrete in the sand area. And if you're putting concrete in sand area, then you shouldn't be building that structure there. And so I encourage anyone that lives in the coastal community, you know, coastal communities want, like any community, they want taxes. But construction in coastal communities is very, very delicate and can have such a potential impact. And then if there is construction, many times people put up some type of uh, break wall in order to protect from high, high tides and such because they don't want further erosion. And of course, that causes problems. 
and you know dunes are being destroyed, the temperature of the sand is changing. We try to do as much education as possible to help people understand literally that we are losing our coastline around the United States. What programs does uh, TURN have to protect sea turtles and other marine animals? So we work very closely with partners across the Gulf states to protect nesting beaches. You know, turtles spend the majority of their life in the ocean. Males never return to the beach. So in order for that species to be successful, we need to have an area of a dune system so we protect the nesting beaches. We try to stop deadly fishing practices prior to TEDs, the turtle excluder devices. Shrimping boats, shrimping vessels drowned thousands and thousands of sea turtles, and now TEDs are required in everything except smaller skimmers. So we continue to fight long lines. We continue to fight uh, crab traps and pots, these different fisheries that have impacts to so many species, not just sea turtles. And so we focus a lot on conservation and advocacy, habitat protection, migratory swimways, protection of that. And, you know, unfortunately, our environmental laws at a state and federal level have been weakened over the years. And many times with other uh, nonprofit organizations, conservation organizations, we file lawsuits. Unfortunately, many times that's the last way to try to protect a habitat or a specific species. Can you explain what a, a TED is? It's a turtle excluder device. So if you've ever seen a shrimp trawl, there's these very large nets and they can be pushed, they can be pulled behind the boat. Sometimes they look like butterflies out to the side. <laughs> and when you are harvesting shrimp, these nets are lowered and they're drug along the bottom of the ocean floor. Some of them work in bays. Some of them work in deeper waters offshore. And so turtles can be found. These nets can be 30, 40 feet in length, and they have a very wide opening. And the shrimp come in along with other fish, dolphins, sea turtles. And at the very back of the net is what's called a sock. It gets smaller and smaller. And that's where they the, the shrimp go and they're harvested from. And so a turtle excluder device is a metal device it has a three-inch opening between the bars. It's a bunch of bars, and it allows the shrimp to go through the bars. It has a specific angle, about a 54-degree angle when it's installed. And so a sea turtle is pushed into that TED, and the shrimp are allowed to pass through. But the turtle in the net, there's a small gap. It might open to the top or the bottom or the side, and the turtle is stopped from going back into the sock <laughs> and that it is allowed to escape through the opening in the net. And again, this wasn't a law, a federal law until the late 1980s. And so up until that time, thousands and thousands of sea turtles drowned in nests. And even on our Texas coast in Corpus Christi until about 1910, we had a harvesting facility. They would harvest green sea turtles. They would process them for meats. Mm. Even our restaurants in Galveston, Guido's, who has been here for probably almost 100 years, in previous menus, they had green sea turtles on their menu. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan with Joni Steinhaus, Ocean Director of the Turtle Island Restoration Network. And uh, TURN is also involved in educational programs for youngsters. Tell us about those programs. We love to work with the youth. We actually have a group today. We have about 120 students. We're going to meet on the beach after I 
finish this conversation with you. We're in schools across the Galveston-Houston area. We teach them a lot about watershed. I mentioned watershed before. Most people don't know what a watershed is. Youth and adults, when I ask them what it is, it, most of them think of it as a rain barrel. So we do a lot of education about watershed and personal impact to the health of the watershed. We teach a lot about litter and trash and recycling. Uh, across the country, less than 5% of our plastic is recycled. So we try to educate youth that we need to not only reduce our consumption, but we need to find ways to refuse single-use plastic items. We take the youth to our beach. We show them the beach system. We do beach cleanups, and we also do nurdle patrols. Nurdles are tiny little bead-like um, plastic pieces, and that is a primary plastic, and that's what plastic products are made out of. I mentioned microplastics. We have multiple microplastic projects that we're working on. We're working not only with youth, but a graduate student at U of H Clear Lake. We have interns, college interns that work with us and the samples of sand and water that we collect from around the island. They process those looking for microplastics. And we also do microplastic education for youth, um, elementary and middle school students. We have, there's a Texas Parks and Wildlife Teach a Kid to Fish program where it teaches them ethical fishing practices, fish ID, fish habitat, and they also learn about marine debris. And we have so many programs that we try to help people understand the impacts of single-use plastics. I'm very excited to say that we're working with another nonprofit called Perpetual, and we're trying to implement in 2024 the first reusable foodware program in the country so instead of getting a styrofoam or plastic to-go cup for your beverage, you would get a stainless steel reusable cup, and it would be dropped off in a bin, sanitized, and then brought back to restaurants. So we're trying to find ways to help people refuse that plastic that is impacting our ocean and ocean health. So uh, one of the things, of course, that we do every day is we eat. Uh, do you have programs on how what we eat affects climate change? Well, not directly, but we do talk about asking people to think about sourcing locally. Um, many of our seafood restaurants, even in our coastal communities in Texas, it's not Gulf seafood. It's flown in from other countries, specifically some of the shrimp. And so we teach people to say, when you go to a restaurant, is this local? Where is this catch from? How fresh is it? And that reduces the CO2, the transportation, if it's caught on an industrial vessel, as we spoke about, there's a large CO2 component to that. And then if it has to be trucked or flown in, that's an additional component. And we don't teach directly about eating and climate change, but we also encourage people to be aware of it. And you know, personally, if you reduce your meat consumption, that really will have a huge impact on climate change. Going vegetarian is the way to go. Whether you live in Texas, Maine, Washington State, or anywhere else in the U.S. or in the world for that matter, there are things you can do every day that are good for the oceans and for our land environments, too. Joni Steinhaus can tell you about some of them right now. In general, if you're not in a coastal community, I encourage you to volunteer. Find an organization that you can volunteer at. Become a member. Donate. Nonprofits need funds, donate, and learn about what you can do, individual actions, refuse that single-use plastic, become active in understanding your local and state and federal laws and policies. 
That's all for now. This has been Mothering Earth on the Turtle Island Restoration Network organization, whose mission is to mobilize people in places around the world to protect marine animals, the oceans, and inland watersheds that sustain them. Thanks so much to our guest, Joni Steinhaus, with the Turtle Island Restoration Network, and thanks so much to you for listening. Until next time, this is Salwa Khan signing off for Mothering Earth, your source for sustainable living news. The views and opinions expressed on Mothering Earth do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of this station.